Good morning, church. It is good to be with you. Good to be together this morning. Uh, we're going to continue on the series, The Waiting Room. And before we do that, I just want to say thank you for everybody who's uh, sent their notes in and emails to me in the church office in general, just sharing your waiting room stories about how God has, has kept you in this room for whatever it is, waiting and growing and learning. It's been really powerful and cool and devotional for me to be able to read your stories. So I just want to say Thank you. We kicked off this series in part one by seeing about how God sometimes forces us to wait. In part two, we heard about how God, or about how sometimes we refuse to wait. And now in part three of the series, we're seeing about those times and those seasons when we are called to choose to wait. I'm going to start off this morning with an architecture lesson because I know that's exactly the reason why you all came to church this morning is to hear a, a novice talk about something that he has no idea what it actually is about, architecture. But uh, just in general, a principle of architecture occurs that is uh, the taller, the, the bigger, the heavier, the more impressive a structure becomes, the wider, the heavier, the more solid the foundation of that structure has to be. That is, it, that is the very, very first step in building a structure high is to do the very counterintuitive work of digging down deep. I want to show you a picture about what this looks like. This is, uh, this is Redwood National Forest, uh, somewhere along a stretch, 31-mile stretch of the Avenue of Giants. And we just have a guy here staring up at this massive Redwood structure and just as you, as you soak in the image, consider this, that uh, as impressive as that structure is above his eyes, it's even more impressive what's happening down beneath his feet. As the structure before the tree even bears fruit, before a tree would sprout any branches, develop a trunk, or even pop through the ground, the first thing that the seed does is it plants a root, sprouts it out to go to go deep, to go wide. And that's what we're talking about this morning. If, if people are trees, <laughs> I don't think many of us would get to be that tall. Uh, the, the problem is that um, maybe you, like me, we bounce. <laughs> we're, we're bouncy people. Uh, many of you who know me pretty well, you know that I bounce from thing to thing. I've known to bounce passionately from hobby to hobby. The next one, as short-lived as the previous one, I'll spend a summer raving about how mountain biking is the new best thing ever. Uh, sometimes it's running or weightlifting. Uh, one, one time for a season, it was keeping saltwater aquariums. I was an aficionado, as we are called. For very short-lived, I was a carpenter, a finished carpenter at one point. And the problem, though, with being a bouncy person is that most of these things, in order to learn to do them well, if it's, worth, if it's worth learning to do well, it takes time. And if you don't believe me, come on over. I've got a very wobbly end table that was built very passionately and very unskillfully. I would love to show you. We're bouncy people. We bounce around from thing to thing. Some of you might bounce around from person to person or group to group. You might bounce around uh, uh, from one group to another, seeing that as they get to know you, as the mask starts to come off, you can start to see that, well, it might be time to bounce on to the next group. 
I've seen this happen in the church life. I've seen people who bounce from church to church. This one has good music. This one has struggles with community or with uh, social activism, engagement. And so it's time to bounce from the next church to the next church to the next church, never really developing, never really cultivating that deep root system. We're bouncy people. We're bouncy people in our faith life, church. I've I want to share with you the three questions that people most commonly come to me and most commonly ask me as a pastor is that number one, what am I supposed to do with my life? Number two, with whom am I supposed to be doing it? And number three, why can't I feel, why can't I experience the presence of God? All of these things, all of these things happen and they take form and they take focus, not in the matter of hours, days, or even weeks. Sometimes it takes years to develop them and to bring focus and to bring vision onto them. But we bounce long before that ever happens and we, and we miss out. So what we're gonna talk about this morning, church, is we're gonna see about how God is gonna develop you is that far before God is interested in developing the vision he has for you, he's going to begin to develop you by putting down those roots. And it takes time and a deliberate decision to choose to wait, wait on God. But I also wanna make sure that we know that waiting doesn't imply inaction. And we're gonna see that come through, especially a little bit later on as we see some of the events that have surrounded the tragedy with George Floyd and the protests and then the riots that are breaking out in our country. And we're going to see how, how we're being called to wait, but waiting doesn't imply inaction. And I want to show you, I want to see some places of what we're supposed to do, church, in the wait. So before we go on to application, let's see, let's see what God has for us in this story from 1 Samuel chapter 16. You can follow along in the Bible. You can look it up on a different device to follow along. We're going to go to 1 Samuel chapter 16. We've got, uh, we've got Samuel, who's very much the kingmaker. He's God's prophet. He's the one who speaks on behalf of God. And God has just said, hey, the first king in Israel, we're done with him. He turned away from me. It's time now to replace him. And so God tells Samuel to go to this, uh, go to this city, this, this back Woods town uh, called the house of bread called Bethlehem. Go there. You're going to find somebody. His name's Jesse. The next king of Israel is going to be one of his sons. And so Samuel goes and he's got his horn of his flask kind of of oil that is used to represent the presence of God. It's like the oil sticks to the person he's about to anoint. So too does the presence of God, the spirit of God stick on the person that he's anointing. And so Samuel does what most people would uh, expect to do. Samuel talks to dad, he talks to Jesse and says, hey, listen, one of your sons, he's going to be the next king. I'm going to anoint him today. I've got my oil here and everything. So line up your, your boys uh, and line them up maybe from oldest to youngest, uh, from most impressive to least impressive. Just put them right here in front of me and I'll show you which one God has picked out to be the next king. And so that's what he does. And he has the first son, the oldest son, the most impressive son, stroll before Samuel, essentially saying, is it this one? Listen to the response in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7 is where we're picking it up. First son, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider this first son's appearance or his height. God says, for I have rejected him. See, he's, he's up to something new. The last king, Saul, looked like a king. And that was basically where his kingly attributes ended. Now God is saying, we're going to do something, something new. Don't pick the one that just simply looks like a king. And then we have this um, very, very well-known, in some circles, very famous passage. Continuing on in verse 7, it says that the Lord does not look at the things 
people look at. Listen, people look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. You see, people look at actions, but the Lord looks at motivations. People look at what is, but God sees what could be and what will be in the name of Jesus. People look at your past. God is looking at your potential. People see just on what's outside the superficial. And God says, no, 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 I see way, way beyond that and what we're doing here this morning. Continuing on to the passage in verse eight. And then Jesse called Abinadab, the next son, and had him pass in front of Samuel. Surely it must be the the next son. But, But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shema passed by, but Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. You start to get a sense that a pattern is developing. Verse 10, Jesse had seven sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. Seven is like this number of completion. And the Lord is saying, listen, it's not any of them. They've completely exhausted, were run out. Verse 11, so he asked Jesse, are these, uh, are these all the sons you have? Um, they're still the youngest, Jesse answered. He's tending the sheep. Okay, uh, Jesse does not forget that he has an eighth son. He didn't forget the youngest. It's far worse than that. He just assumed that the youngest didn't matter. He didn't even need to be in the room, in the area, when it's time when it's time to anoint the next king. That's his level of deserving of recognition. He's tending the sheep. Well, now we're gonna write that wrong. Samuel said, continuing on, Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. This was a practice set for royalty. When you're expecting somebody significantly to come to, to, come to town or to come over to your place in your palace, maybe, if it was a dignitary, a king, what they would do is everybody would stay, would remain standing, backs up against the wall, shoulder or arms crossed, and just wait attentively for the dignitary, for the king to come into the presence. And you imagine what it would be like for those seven older brothers of David to stand there, backs against the wall, arms crossed, waiting for their kid brother to come in and to realize what was happening. He was the one. He is the one that's picked. So this boy comes in, verse, verse 12. So he sent for him and brought him in. David, now he was glowing with health and had a fine appearance, handsome figures. Then the Lord said, rise, appoint him. This is the one. And so Samuel took that horn of oil and anointed him in the presence. What a flex is that? In the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon, and for the first time we hear his name, came powerfully upon David, the next king of Israel. One item that's not meant in the passage, but with readers that would have gotten this from some of the language that was used and some of the connotations around some of the words in the original language is that when David was anointed king, he's maybe 12, 10 years old. He's out in the field. He's, he's a fourth grader, fifth grader, maybe. He comes in and they, they announce to him, you're it, you're the guy, you're the next great king in Israel. And the next day, you know what happens? 
Same day in the previous day. Same thing. David goes out, tends the sheep. Only this time he's, he's stickier from the, from the oil that was just recently poured down his face. You see, the image, it was supposed to get like, like stuck in the king's beard and just cling on him, but he's 10 years old. He doesn't have a beard. He's just got this soft skin that the oil is just kind of reminding him there. Like, what was that all about? I'm the next king of Israel. And then I, and then I go out into a field and, and watch the sheep just like I did yesterday, just like I did the day before that, just like I did every day before that. What's up? What happened? And so like weeks go by, months, years go by, church. Time goes by. David is out there. He's tending the sheep. Uh, time goes by, he's playing for the king, an instrument. Time goes by, he's, he's now a fugitive running away from the king. I'm, I thought I was supposed to be the king. Come on, fast forward here, fast forward through the tending of the sheep, through the giant story, through the fugitive story, fast forward all the way to the next book of the Bible in 2 Samuel, Samuel chapter 5, verse 4. We finally get to the passage we read that David, David now is 30 years old when he became king and he reigned for 40 years. David's 30 years old. Some of you math whizzes are out there like, wait a second, if he was 10 years old, anointed king, and he's 30 years old when he became king, that's a 20-year gap. 20 years of like just, just waiting, waiting, waiting. I'm part of a generation. We have a hard time waiting for like Netflix to buffer. I don't know what it would be like to, to be told, hey, listen, you're going to be the king and then have to wait 20 years, a couple of decades in order to actually become king. Is waiting time. And then you know what the worst part, I think, is that God has a history. God has a way of keeping us in the waiting. Isn't that true? You open up the Bible and you start to see that this isn't just an isolated event that God keeps us into waiting like story after story. It is very much a part of God's character to keep us in this waiting time, not wasted time. It's root development time. What God does sometimes is that God keeps us in the waiting. Joseph's story, God says, I'm gonna save the world through you. And then it took Joseph being, being betrayed by his brothers, sold, imprisoned, forgotten about, and then finally he makes good on it. 13 years after the fact, God keeps Moses and the people in the waiting, calling them out of Egypt, keeping them wandering around in the desert for 40 long years before bringing them into the promised land. This is this waited time, but it's also root development time. Don't resist it, embrace it, even if you can choose it this morning. God the Father even keeps his own son in the waiting, a 30-year preparation, Jesus, for a three-year ministry. It's waiting time, but it's also root Development time. Don't bounce. Don't resist it. Embrace it. Choose it. God has something for you here in the waiting room. It's time now before God develops you, he's developing your vision. It took David, I think, all of those 20 years just to learn this one simple line. Faith is forged in the delay. Character is formed in the delay. 
that God in those delays is cultivating and developing a root system in David. The root system would go down deep and spread out wide. The root system would culminate into this towering redwood that looked like a kingdom that had its borders expanded beyond anyone imagined the borders could be expanded onto, that that the economy was firing and people were employed. It was food on the tables. The way that the biblical authors write about this time period under the the 40-year reign of David was saying like, listen, we had food on the table and a roof over our heads. It was good years. And not only that, but David had this way of of bringing in this, this authentic culture of worship of God that like pervaded and spread out through the whole kingdom. Like this is the, the legacy of David that, that he, would, he would sit down and he would pen, he would offer songs and lyrics and he would keep those, he would keep a journals with those books and they would become psalms, songs that would make up a significant portions of the largest passage in your Bible, the, the psalms. And, and people would use those for thousands of years and we still use those in our songs and in our worship here today that God promised to that King David that his waiting time, root development time paid off, choosing to wait, it paid off. And that God was now honoring him and saying, David, someone from your line will sit on the throne, not just of this nation, Israel, but of the entire world and universe at that point. Someone from your line will be born in your hometown, that little house of bread, Bethlehem. And that King will be the King of all Kings. And Jesus Christ's kingdom will never fade, will never kneel, will always grow and keep on pressing on. But listen, all of that is the towering redwood. But it's that root system that took 20 years. That's what I want to share this morning. That's what we pay attention this morning is to choose to wait on God developing you. See, Jesus told this fascinating story one time. He said, a farmer goes out and he starts throwing seed around. You know, like the farmer throwing the seed around, some of it landed, some of it landed among thorns. Some landed on the path. You know, birds came, took that away. Thorns choked it away. Some of it landed in this, this rocky place and it just, it springs up without delay. But Jesus goes, the, the sun comes up and because it had no root system, it had no structure to it. Listen, it withered, it was gone. Just as quickly as it appeared, it didn't last. And to hear Jesus tell the story, you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God cares far more about, about the lasting fruit of the seed than he does about what happens in those first few moments. God cares about the 30, 60, 90 times harvest that comes from that seed. And it takes time. That faith is forged in that time. Character is forged in that time. You know, David went out the day after he was anointed and the day after that he goes out and he takes his his toy sling and he whips stones against the base of a tree. He goes out and he's bored. He sits down under the shade of a tree and he just starts penning some lyrics. He, he starts playing his little guitar-like instrument, a lyre or a harp, and he just kind of kind of practices just, just for fun. What he had no idea what was happening is he wasn't just playing. He was practicing, he was preparing 
for the biggest battle of his life he was preparing. He was preparing for the time when his king would come to him weary and anxious and need to be soothed by a song. He was preparing for the battle. He was preparing for the time when he wasn't just whipping stones with a toy sling at the base of a tree. A bear was coming, a lion was coming. He wasn't aiming for a tree now. He was aiming for the face of the lion. God had him preparing for the time that his country would call on him and step into the ring with a giant. And he would reach out and pick up five smooth stones as he had countless times previously and fell that giant in the name of God and lead his people. Keep on leading his people. Faith and character are formed in that delay. God is preparing you for the biggest battle of your life. Now this morning, I'm coming to you live and I'm glad I am because last night was a remarkably difficult night in our city of Grand Rapids and wherever you're watching this from, I'm guessing that you've also seen the news and perhaps it's hit in your hometown as well that after the tragedy with George Floyd, the protesting in some places is turning violent and it seems like our nation again is being is being ripped by this ugly giant of racism. And I wanna invite you, church, as we wait, as we wait for what Martin Luther King Jr. called that long arc of justice that will land, maybe not soon, but that long arc will land in justice. While we wait, we do not settle for inaction, but preparation. And so I just wanna invite you now, like David, to go out and, and to pick up five smooth stones. This isn't a biblical thing. This isn't what they translated to exactly. But as I'm struck with reading this story and seeing the events that tore open our city, a new scar in our city last night, I think it's wise for us too to go out and pick up five smooth stones to combat this giant. And I'll just share with you personally what mine are. I have written down here, the first one, to be reminded, is just simply to feel, to allow my heart to be broken by the images, by the image of another African-American who lost his life, to be hurt by that, to be angered by that, to be moved by that, allow myself to feel the empathy of the community, allow myself to feel the pain of a police car on fire, to allow myself for my heart to be broken because church, the things that breaks the heart of God can also break our hearts, feel. The next one is to consider another person's perspective. Someone told me one time that if I can't articulate somebody else's perspective in a way that would honor them, then I don't really understand the situation and what's happening. I only understand a caricature. I only understand a pretend version of events. The next one is to read and learn as much as I can to put isolated events in the context of a whole. After that, as a dad to a first and a third grader, a simple call to talk to my kids about racism, about how people view and treat each other differently based on historical prejudices and the way that we look. And church, a call in the waiting for justice to pray, to pray to the God who slays giants. One thing is clear. It wasn't the 20 years of practice in the sling 
and against bears and lions that allowed David to fell that giant. Church, those were just the means that God used, but make no mistake, the storytellers are clear about it. It was God through and through. So we surrender up to him and say, God, we need your help to slay this giant here today. Waiting time isn't a time of inaction. It's a time of preparation. Preparation, perhaps for the biggest battle of your life. And in this delay, your faith and your character are forged. Let's pray together. Gracious God, some of us need the courage today to climb down onto our knees and to ask you for wisdom before we speak and before we type. God, to give us your perspective, to give us your love, to give us your grace. God, we pray for our nation as a whole right now. As these old scars become reopened and reopened, God, may we allow our hearts to be broken for the things that break yours. God, we ask for your healing, your resurrection of life, especially now. Jesus, it's in your resurrected name that we pray.